one of my coworkers uh, actually started listening to this podcast, but she didn't start on ours. She started with just yours. So I told her naturally it's garbage. Get past right. the first few episodes. <laughs> and when I come into it, that that's when, oh, dude. That's when it's yeah. good. Yeah, 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 dude. No, she said she liked. She started episode one, and she thought she thought episode one was me, just me. Yeah. Um, and she said she really liked it. I was like, no, was just that was just that guy. You can't like that. You need to. Yeah. <laughs> He's not good. No, dude. No, no. It's just his idea. I'm the I'm the personality behind it. You're the one. Yeah, you brought it through, bro. <laughs> no, <laughs> I do like our episodes a lot better. Which they're fun mean. to listen to. Yeah, they're yeah, fun to, they're fun to do, man. I enjoy them. I enjoy doing them. I think the problem is we keep, you know, what are you working like eighty hours a week, and then oh, I was, yeah, but like not right now. <laughs> I was talking to a friend. I was, I was telling her, I was like, yeah, he co-hosts works in mental health, and he's got to come and deal with my ass, fucking for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm it's sure like he's I'm still, just like Jesus. I'm still at work. He's still man. working. You're still on the yeah, clock. That's the thing. I was going to say, they still pay me for it. I'm like, listen, I got this long-term client. He's going to snap any day. I need to stay in contact with this guy. Mm-hmm. Keep checking up on him. And then what if you kill me, you son of a bitch? You know? Oh, yeah. Since we're asking questions here, have you ever tucked your dick in between your legs? Depends. Yeah. What day? Like in front of the mirror. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, you know, I mean, everybody's dancing from the mirror naked, but listen, listen. what about the old dick tuck? Exactly. I love Silence of the Lambs as much as anybody. All right. Yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. I want to recreate that scene. You know, tuck it and just, you fuck me. I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me hard. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not much of a tuck when you got an inch in there anyway. Oh, yeah. I don't hear shit. Are you playing music right now? Are you? I don't know. You're singing over there and dancing. What are you doing? <laughs> just looks like you're a crazy person. <laughs> I've seen it all before. Been there, seen my hopes and dreams lying on the ground. And you say, all things pass into the night, Zach. And I say, oh no, sir. I must say you're wrong. Of course, that's good by horses. By Q. Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the reason you didn't take off on that singing career of yours. Dying. As always, that Zach stuffs some peanut butter between my toes. O'Connor, I'm Ryan Lefebvre, and it's time to tuck your dicks and your pussies because this is Requiem for a Murder. <laughs> Last week, we left off with Father Gary serving a whopping three years for kidnapping and raping Alberta, his mentally handicapped girlfriend's mentally handicapped sister. Say that five times fast. Mentally handicapped girlfriend's mentally handicapped. I can't even say it once. Zach? Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. You know, I wonder if he was able to practice in the whole long three-year sentence of he had. You know what I mean? Like, it must have been excruciating. So Gary was released on April 12, 1983, at the age of 40, for this terrible crime. But it wasn't his first experience with it. Like everyone, Gary had a type. Young black women who were usually mentally handicapped. And before Anne Jeanette, Gary dated a mentally handicapped woman named Dorothy. And neighbors reported that Bishop Gary would beat her, lock her up, and would feed, wouldn't feed her. 
It's clear that Gary's acts were becoming more violent, progressing to rape, but Gary wasn't going to let a few years being in prison get him down. He had turned a small initial investment with a bump from dabbling in real estate and stocks into over $500,000, and he led a successful church. A church for mentally handicapped and his brother. That's pretty much, that was all yeah, there, yeah. Yeah, very successful. But they need church. church. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Jesus, Jesus all, fucking Christ. You need church. We all need church, you know. All right, I don't, but... Jesus Church of Satan! You know, he Jesus was hung out with prostitutes <laughs> and, uh, you know, Gary, Gary hangs out with uh, the mentally disabled, you know? Yeah. Jesus was... Okay, the only reason why he started with his preaching bullshit or whatever he did is probably because yeah he hung out with prostitutes and in exchange for fucking the best blowjobs he gave them these little words of wisdom you know what I'm saying hey blasphemy is where I draw the line alright oh my bad that's, that's my bad. the line yeah no no rape snuff racism we're good don't you blaspheme yeah so he was living the high life and in 1984 he would purchase his final dream home. So Gary, he has his new house, and he's been pushing the United Church of Ministers of God by advertising through his neighborhood. But there was one thing missing, and that was love. Heinick was quite the romantic, writing love notes to a Filipino woman who he was connected with through a mail-order bride service. Now, yeah, I know. Now, how a mail-order bride service went before the internet, not sure. Like, was there an office in some shitty strip mall, which... Is what I like to imagine. Or was it simply mail order brides? Do you think or... it was like uh, kind of like an army recruiting office in the mall? You know, like like you walk in, you walk in, you're like, listen, I'm ready to fuck my life up. I'm ready to commit <laughs> years of service, possible physical disabilities after these years of service. Um, oh, shit. I'm in the army. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm, I'm here for the mail order brides. That's what I'm saying. So you got Mob Express or... M-O-B-S for mail order bride service, right? Really simple, but it's big red fucking letters, clothes, fucking lighten up shit. And you just go in there and you fill out a form. You speak with Bill. Hey, Bill. Bill takes down all your requests. These are all serious fucking questions. Everyone is afraid to ask, but we all want to fucking know. So Gary, his requests were simple. He checked two boxes because it was just a simple list, I imagine. Sure, sure. With boxes. Yeah. You check them. You yeah, had two. They checked Oriental and Virgin. That's all he oh, wanted. That's it. <laughs> that's it, man. Oh man, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Not simple. even not, not even mentally disabled this time. I uh, know. I guess. I guess in this case, the disability would be that she's mail order and can't really yeah. do much, like yeah. legally. So he controls her. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad this. I'm glad it's working out for this guy. I really am. Oh, dude, he's got it together. So Betty Distro <laughs> was Gary's Oriental version, and for two years. They would smell. Sex mail. That's what I call it. Smell, sex mail. I'm fucking witty. By sure. letter and sometimes by what I imagine were very sexy phone calls. Ooh. 
Hi, is this... Is this Betty? Oh, yeah, this is Betty. Hi, Betty. Yeah, you want to see my dick? Is this no, Betty, this is Gary. Not yet. Well. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> That's all Gary needs, man. <laughs> I imagine they're going differently, but I just kind of was not throwing any kind of voice uh, accent in there. So I was just like. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what the Filipino sound It's harder when I can't see, hear myself, too. So I, I don't yeah. know what I'm sounding like, you know. Did you explain to the people at home that we're we're doing this remotely? Oh no, but I guess yeah, we we're doing this remotely. Yeah, uh, Ryan, Ryan's got the uh, Ebola. Yeah, play. yeah, yeah, Ebola, also known as big, he's, big dick, hard dick itis. He's got AIDS, guys. Yeah, but AIDS you can live with now. So yeah, you can you can live, yeah, you can with, live it, with it. But well, I mean. I don't know. Eventually, in 1985, Betty flew to Philadelphia. We're hiding. Speaking of AIDS, right? Remember the Philadelphia Project? With fucking... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where Heidnick could unleash his charm in full force. And one month later, on October 3rd, they married in Elkton, Maryland. Surprisingly, their relationship and home life was as conventional as most marriages are with priests. Hmm. You know, because, I mean, priests Terrible. have a good track record. Well, they have the best. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely never, you know, pedophilia or abuse or alcoholism. When priests fuck, okay, do they? Oh yeah, get into the real question. Yes, yeah. do they bless their semen? So and 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 I think they do. Ooh. They have to because okay. they obviously they want to have a holy, holy, holy fucking jizz, holy baby, right? So well, now with that. With this cum blessing, do they jizz up in a bowl and bless it and like Andre Chikatilo that shit in there, or do they, <laughs> or do they bless, bless? Or does he bless that fucking that bishop for a holy blessing and a holy fucking money shot, just like holla fucking hallelujah? I think I think what maybe happens is you know kind of like where you take communion, you need to like don't you need to kneel when you take communion like a Catholic church. I feel like you do. Yeah, they you want there, you on right? your knees. And he's like, and he's like, get get on your knees, my child. You know, um, not a real child in this instance, but don't don't believe it always. Um, and stands over her, and he just starts, you know, reciting some type of prayer, and the whole time she just is supposed to keep saying Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, you know, Ooh. doing her Hail Mary stuff, oh, fuck yeah. you know. Um, and then. Then he blesses it. You had me in Bloody Mary. And much like uh, traditional Catholic priests do, this is going to be done in a closet. Yeah. So, But now, if you are a priest, if you yeah, have some no, insight yeah. on this, if you blessed your dick, email us at <laughs> ruckerinformurder at gmail.com. Let us know. Let us know if we're we right or wrong. We want to Yeah, know. we do need to know. Yeah. We, and we will talk about it next episode. Hell, demonstration. Give us a demonstration. I'll take a video. <laughs> you have an OnlyFans? I'll subscribe, guys. Come on. Yeah. I want to know. <laughs> so... Also, uh, I'm going to skip this next part because it's, it's too much because I just keep going on with this for a while, apparently. <laughs> so these lovebirds yeah, got married yeah. and all started off fine. But after the honeymoon phase started to wear off in about a week, shit got weird. Oh, yeah. Usually it's like, okay. what, 30, yeah. 90 days is usually when it really wears off. 
a week, right? Betty kept coming home to young, black, retarded women to stay in the house, which Gary would say they were tenants. One of those times, Betty came home and Heidnick was having sex with three women. Heidnick started beating Betty, making her cook for him and fuck his buddies. Whoa. That was a hard left turn. There is no lead up to that one. Right. Okay, okay, okay. I misspoke. He made her cook okay. for him and cook for his fuck buddies. Didn't make her fuck oh. the fuck buddies. Yeah. As days went on, his okay. violent behavior. Well, I mean. <laughs> hey, I mean. Close. That's probably why. It wouldn't have shocked me. Right. No, not at all. Not at all. As days went on, his violent behavior increased towards his wife. He even made her watch him have sex with other women. Betty couldn't take it anymore. She worked up the courage to conf confront his fuckboy ass. He responded by threatening to kill her, rape her, both vaginally and anally. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why you don't use a mail-order bride service or, like, rush in their relationships or let anyone in close or open up or trust anyone. I'm not victim-blaming, but just don't trust nobody. <laughs> or... <laughs> So shortly after this, in January 1986, Betty developed an exit plan with the help of the Filipino community. Because remember, she is a Filipino bride. She didn't really know anybody here because they got she moved. They got married a month later, a week after this shit started fucking ramping up. So I mean, it's not like she had a chance to really. So how long? How long into this relationship are we right now? So a week after things got weird, right? Things got bad, and so she. All these threats are made yeah. like what two weeks after or what? And, what's up? Uh, nah, because. If I remember right, they got married like a month after she came, right? And about a weekend or so is when shit started to get weird. So this started ramping up in about, you know, less than two months. Okay. Oh, okay. But at this point, it had been a year. So shit started ramping up. She put it up with it for, you know, almost a year. Where do you find that many black mentally disabled women post or pre-internet? Like what? Where does he? Where is he going? What's he doing? Well, I, is there? He's is there like a Craigslist ad, like <laughs> like a newspaper kind of thing, like seeking people that aren't smart enough to know what I'm going to do to them, kind of kind of ad. Do they know how to get on the internet? I don't want to seem seem sound cruel. They got some do, well, right? There wasn't internet then, though. How? What year is this? This is in the eighties, right? Early nineties. Yeah, this is. We're nearing up on nineteen eighty six at this point. Yeah, there's no internet, so he's he's like. Well, okay, and that's where his church comes in, too, because he started okay. mingling in this crowd, and his church brought in all—he would talk to these girls, these mentally handicapped girls, and so they'd all congregate there. Do you think he'd, like, tell them about America? Like, you know, give me your weak, your tired, your black mentally disabled girls into my closet. That's, that's, what, that's what we want. That's what we want here at this church. I want to see the advertisement ads that he had. But uh, shortly after this, in 19, January 1986, Betty developed an exit plan with the help of the Filipino community. Gary believed she was heading out on routine shopping trip, but in actuality, she was getting the fuck out of there. Betty. Good on, good on you. Betty. Yeah, she fucking wised up. Betty filed yeah. for divorce and I guess pressed charges. Gary was arrested for assault, indecent assault, spousal rape, and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. However, the charges were dismissed as Betty never showed up for court. On 15 December 1986, so a little bit after this, unknown to Gary, Betty gave birth to their son. That's probably why she never showed up. She didn't want him to know. Probably. So Jesse John Dist Distro, I'll have to say I'm all for father's rights, but Betty, you made the right fucking choice, and I oh, support yeah. you. Yeah, 
Fuck yeah. A little over a month yeah. later, on Thanksgiving Day, a young Josefina Rivera, part-time prostitute, was working on the corner of 3rd and Girard. Around 11 p.m., a 1987 Cadillac Coupe de Ville drove up to the girl. The window rolled down, and Josefina leaned in. Oh, hey, baby. You looking for some fun? Uh, what's your IQ? Sugar, you can have this hot ass for the right price. I mean, is it 80? Is it 90? Let's talk. Let's talk numbers. Let's talk. Oh, you shooting high. how smart you are. Oh, you talking about No, I'm IQ? talking about your IQ. Oh, baby, <laughs> let's not talk about my IQ. We don't need an IQ to fuck, sugar. Come on, sugar. Okay, get in. All right, but we need to talk price, sugar. How much you got? 50. 50? I got 50. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dang, sugar, this is 1986. That's a lot. It's 87. That's a lot of money for a hooker, sugar. I uh, well, yeah, I, uh, forty. Oh, dang, sugar! How rich are you? I run a church with mentally disabled people. All right, sugar, you can do whatever you want. With the price agreed upon, Josephine got in the car, and the new short-term business partners headed to the house of the buyer at thirty-five twenty North Marshall Street, the house of Gary Heidnick. The two got out of the car, went inside, up the stairs to where the magic. Fucking happens. Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. Gary slipped her a 20 and they began to fuck right there on this waterbed. That's right. Fucking waterbed, dude. Of course he had a watershed. <laughs> tells you what time. Of course he yeah, did. Dude, tells you what time this take place. I remember when I was ten. Yeah. Or so. I wanted a waterbed. It seemed cool. <laughs> and I wanted a bad. Did seem cool. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, being a spoiled little bitch that I was, my parents obliged. And I immediately, I immediately regretted that fucking shit. Eventually, I drained all the water out of that bed and made like a shift pillow bed. And I slept on that yeah. shit for a long time. This serves me fucking right, you know, being a little shit I was. Yeah, yeah it does, yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck you, man. So after they were done fucking, Josephina got up to get dressed. Gary came up behind her, grabbed her by the neck, and choked her out. When Josephina came oh. to, she was on the bed with one wrist handcuffed. Josephina was probably freaking the fuck out, and rightfully so. But Heineck told her to shut up or he would choke her again. Gary then took her down to the basement where Heidnick dug a big fucking hole. He then chained her with muffler clamps and used a type of crazy glue so Josephina couldn't unscrew the bolts. Forcing her into the hole with rock music blaring on full blast, I mean, every fucking radio in the house was fucking turned up. TVs were cranked up even if they're on static. And his noise was just going crazy. He told her he was going to get her pregnant and he would raise the kids, not just with her, but he told her he would have a bunch of girls and a bunch of kids. Once in the hole, Heidnick attempted to put a board over the hole to cover it, but this stupid fuck didn't dig deep enough, and the cover wouldn't fit. Struggling to breathe, Josephina screamed and screamed. She couldn't breathe, and then Gary grabbed her by the hair, yanked her out, beat her again with a stick, telling her, Shut up! I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you again. And then put her back in covering the hole with the weighted board and left her there for a day. The next day, Heidnick brought over Sandra Lindsay 
to what would be called his harem and did just that. On that day, she went off to the store, but never came home. Sandra was mentally handicapped, but her desire was always to be normal. Sandra had known Gary for about four years and even attended his church. Bishop Gary was a nice guy to her up to this point and would buy her, goddamn, and would buy her McDonald's and, according to Sandy's family, would someday take her on a great adventure. But the great adventure Gary had in mind would only be great to one person, and that was Gary Heidnick. For weeks, Heidnick would beat them, force them to have sex with them daily, and feed them barely and irregularly. One of the fucked up things about the story is when Sandy didn't come home after a few days, her family became worried. They knew even though she was mentally handicapped, she wouldn't just run away and not come home. Sandy's mom called the police, but the police, what'd they do, Zach? What do you think uh, they did? Um, listen, I love law enforcement. Right. So far in all these stories, they're not very good. Right. Um, so I'm going to say they told her mother to fucking shut it. Uh, <laughs> and kicked her out the door. <laughs> I mean, not that uh, not that mean, but they just missed it. You know, they just dismissed it. Okay. Yeah, she's mentally handicapped. You know, she, she went off to right. mentally handicapped things. Right. You know, like... Like play in the river, or, you know, run through fields, yeah, you know, be trapped in a sex slave house, right. you know. Yeah, they tried to they they tried to claim that that's what people do. Girls her age, you know, they they run off and yeah, without saying a word. Sandy's family sure. eventually tracked down a friend and got Heidnik's number, called Heidnik, but Heidnik denied ever seeing her. Heidnik then made Sandy fill out a Christmas card of twenty dollars inside, telling her mom not to worry. And he drove up to New York to mail it off. Of course, this is all the police needed to be satisfied that everything was hunky-fucking-dory. And the investigation into Sandy's disappearance was over. That is, if it even ever fucking began. But let's be honest, it sounds like these police didn't do shit. During this month of brutal torture, Heidnick began working on the hole, digging it deeper and deeper, transforming it from a little hole into more of a pit. Is this guy like the fucking vision behind the silence of the lambs guy <laughs> i was gonna that what, what year did that movie come out did he copy that or did they copy i this? was gonna get in that later but yes um who wrote that book harris i can't remember but uh the character buffalo bill is loosely based off of gary heinick and off of ed gein obviously for the pit part and the uh, chaining up and all that that shit is definitely uh got a little bit from this guy Jesus, man. Yeah. Then on December 23rd, Heineck abducted 19-year-old Lisa Thomas. It started out like a date night with some gifts. He took her to TGIF, thank God it's fucking Friday, for some dinner and drinks, then bought her some gifts. At the end of the night, they went to his house for some VHS and chill. Again, like with the first, after sex, Heineck started strangling her, shackled her up, took her down to his little dungeon pit, again forcing them to have sex with him every day after this, repeatedly. Usually, he'd start by raping one, then working his way to the next until he finished with the last girl. The nicest thing Heidnick probably did was on Christmas, when he let the girls pick out Chinese food. Uh, order anything you want, girls. Anything off the list, it's Christmas. That was one of the nicest things he fucking did. Told them they could order anything, but the next day, it was back to shit food, he would do these little reward events throughout 
the captivity, normally giving them a couple pieces of bread, some water, maybe some stale fucking hot dogs. Days of barely feeding them would go on, but occasionally he would reward them. For instance, on birthdays, he would give them cake, again, Chinese food. And after raping them, he was nice enough to give them some fucking cookies. Cookies. That's what he had. That's what he thought was a fair trade for rape. Oh, well, thanks for letting me rape you. Here's a fucking cookie. That better be a goddamn good cookie if you're going to rape this butthole, Zach. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. Three years. He did three years before all this. Yep. Oh, yeah. So in early January 1987, on New Year's Day, Heidnick added to his little shop pores the new unfortunate victim, Deborah Dudley. Deborah, like the others, was shackled and put in the pit. Debbie was less the less cooperating of the group and would scream all night, and rightfully so. Heidnick annoyed with this disobedience would beat her more so than the others with two sticks and one had nails in it. The other girls were also getting annoyed with Debbie's disobedience. Because not only did Debbie, her fucking disobedience, earn brutal beatings, but the other girls were beat for it as well. Awesome oh, mass punishment. Yeah, dude. I mean, he was in the army. Yeah, I forgot he was in the army, honestly. I, I didn't know how deep we were into this. <laughs> Private Heidnick was trained well. So, the next victim to be captured and added to the dungeon was an 18-year-old prostitute, prostitute named Jacqueline Askins. Just like the rest, Heidnick wooed her to his house, had sex with her, and then hauled her off to the basement to be shackled and again added to the harem. Heidnick kept creating this reward system and a rank system as well. Here's a clip of Josephina during a 1990 interview explaining Heidnick's sick system and the events that took place on February 7th. So, um... Since I was there first, they gave me seniority over everybody else. Then he would leave me in the basement and put everybody else in a hole and at least to be in charge of everybody down in the hole or whatever. It caused Sandra to go on punishment for all these days, you know, and um, he had her handcuffed, like, to the ceiling beams, like, for, for a couple of days, and she wouldn't eat and stuff. And he didn't, um, and he was trying to make her eat. And he was like putting, she was putting bread in her mouth. Because when you got on punishment, first he would just give you water, then he would give you bread and water, and then you, like, I don't know, I guess like he would take away all your privileges, and then you'd have to start all over again, you know? Her whole body just fell. And she was just like, the only thing that was holding her up was just the handcuff, you know? And I kept saying, Lisa, go over there and tap Sandra and see what's, and tell her, to, you know, see what's wrong with her, because her whole body was collapsed. And she kept tapping her and tapping her, and Sandra didn't move, you know? So he just puts the key in the handcuff, and her whole body falls, and her back of her head hits the, 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 the concrete on the, well, like the hole, the surrounding of the hole, is the back of her head, like, hits the corner of this hole. And um, he's like, she's dead. You know, she's dead. And that, like, really had me so messed up, because Sandra had been there with me from the beginning, you know? So as you heard on February 7th, things in the dungeon just got worse. Sandra Lindsay just died at the hands of Heidnick. He carried her lifeless body upstairs. Heidnick said, said, quote, I'm just, I'm just there trying to figure out what the hell to do. And I, I start chopping up the body. 
He cut off her head and dismembered the rest of her body. But he didn't do this alone. He forced the girls to cut off Sandra's legs and her arms. Heidnick boiled her head in a pot, burning parts on the stove and in the oven. For instance, he had some ribs in a pan roasting in the oven. The stench was overwhelming and the neighbors complained. Yet again, like in many other stories, the police were called and arrived on scene. However, Heineck was able to convince the police officers that he fell asleep cooking a roast, and that is what the smell was. Again, that was enough for the police officers. Heineck then fed some of the parts of her body to his dogs, and after he heard the girls complaining and saying about a dog food commercial about how good that dog food looked, well, Heineck obliged. If they wanted dog food, he was about to give it to them, but in the only way he knew how, the most fucked up way possible. Heidnick chopped up parts of Sandra, mixed it in the blender with dog food, and fed it to these poor girls. This would become the go-to meal that this fuck would feed his victims. Before the death, he would beat them, starve them, rape them, and force them to have sex with each other while he watched. After the death, the torture ramped, ramped up more. Heidnick said, quote, no, Nothing was working. I was, I was trying to find something that would work, that make them shut up. Trying to find something that that make them behave. Now, now there's a little break here. If you want to hear what this fucker sounds like, they actually did some interviews with him. So just hop on YouTube. Um, his his arrest videos. He looks more manly, but in this in this uh, in these interview videos, he sounds like a fucking like a little bitch, and he looks like a little weird bitch. Um, I bet he's fucking yeah. I mean, like. He- you got to fucking, you going after mentally disabled girls, you're going after the weak, and then you're tying them up, so you can't even, hot damn, man, like, they gave him the death penalty, right? They, they put this dude down. <laughs> we'll get to that. So, his solution to all this misbehaving, he would duct tape their mouths, gag them, shackle them, and would painfully drive screw, screwdrivers of various sizes into their ears. The only one he didn't deafen with the screwdrivers was Josephina. Debbie was still not cooperating at this point. She was continually dis- disobedient. Josephine even said, quote, She just constantly, dis- constantly did stuff to get other people in trouble. Gary was losing his mind, but came up with a solution to make them behave. And I say them because, again, if one is bad, not just that one gets punished, but some of the others too. So, hi, Nick. Were they all, besides uh, Josephine at this point, were they all uh, mentally disabled? Not every like, one of them. Um, Okay. Besides Josephine, Josephine is was the prostitute, right? She was yeah, the first one. I mean, there's a couple of prostitutes they pick up that, but okay. um, so it's not all men's dis- disabled girls, but that is definitely his go-to because they're he's he's a manipulator, you know. So they're they're right. going to be easy, more they're going to be easily to manipulate, you know. Um, Gary was losing in mind, but it came up with a solution. So Heidnick had the pit filled with a few inches of water, and while chained up, forced Debbie. Jacqueline and Lisa into the pit. Heineck then covered the hole with that wood cover, stripped the wires off of a wire plug, and plugged it into the socket. Then placing the wire on Deborah's chain, making a connection, a surge of electricity surged through the chains to Deborah. The other girls felt the shock, but not much as Deborah did. She absorbed most of it. Deborah screamed in pains as Heineck repeatedly shocked her. Until the only screams coming from the pit were from Jacqueline and Lisa. There were no more screams from Deborah. 
Heineck then removed the cover and looked down in the pit to see two girls terrified and one girl, Deborah, lying face down in the water. She was dead. Heineck was extremely calm. Immediately after the death, he was probably thinking, finally, all my problems are over. Now we can go back to a peaceful fucking dungeon. Heineck handed Josephina a pen and paper to write down a statement of the events of Deborah's events and her involvement. Here's that statement. I, Josephina Rivera and Gary Heineck, um, electrocuted Deborah Dudley at 3520 North Marshall Street on whatever day it was. I can't remember. It might have been... She was freed on the 25th. Might have been like the 21st of March, 1987, by applying wires, applying electricity to her chains while sitting in a pool of water. So he had Josephina write this, this note. And now that, that was exactly word for word from what I understand of what she wrote down. Afterwards, Heineck was using this as leverage against Josephina and told her, quote, If you ever go to the cops, I can use this as evidence that you killed Debbie. After the signed statement, <laughs> Josephina was unchained. She was essentially promoted and would become Heineck's constant companion. So her, her involvement here, she'd been working up for it. She's been following this rank and reward system. And she just became, you know, a queen fucking captive here. So unchained, she got, she was allowed to, wear some clothes and when essentially wander around the house and, you know, wonder why she didn't escape. But Deborah's body would be stored in the freezer until March 22nd when the two loaded her body in the van and drove off to a wooded area called the Pine Barrens. Upon arriving, Heidnick left Josephina in the car while he carried Deborah's body into the woods to dump the body in a grove of trees. Now that the harem was short one girl, Heidnick needed to find a replacement. And Josephina and Heidnick set out to find another. Driving around, they saw a prostitute, Agnes Adams, standing on a street corner. Both Josephina and Heidnick knew the prostitute. Guess how? Go on. Can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess how? Can you guess how? Is she a member of the church, maybe? <laughs> no, nah, dude. No. Nah. Gary, Gary, I think, used to fuck her. And okay. Joseph right. Josephina. Josephina was a prostitute. Were... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They worked together. Right. They worked together. Right. The pair drove Agnes back to his house. Heidnick did his Heidnick shit, had sex with her, then stripped her naked, chained her up, and threw her in the pit in the basement. During all these months, Josephina had worked her way up to the captive ring structure, like I was talking about. Not just by being obedient, but also by telling on the other girls when they were breaking the rules, assisting them in this that the terrible acts of killing the girl and a captive, you know, capturing another. It would seem Heidnick trusted her a bit, or thought he had broken her into complete obedience. Well, the day after the abduction of Agnes Adams, on March 24th, Josephina was able to convince Heidnick to let her go see her family. In exchange for this little trip, she would bring him back another sex slave and meet him near her family's house at midnight at a gas station. Now, originally, Heidnick wanted to, Heidnick wanted to go with her. But Josephina was like, nah, it'll raise too many questions. Like, you've been gone for this few months, and now there's this fucking dude. Like, you know, like, <laughs> what? So she convinced him, just just chill out. It'll be like 15, 20 minutes. I'll come back to the gas station. It'll be cool. And in exchange, you'll get a new girl. 
So, Heidnik, giddy as a fucking schoolboy that likes to rape and murder, agreed and took her near the house and dropped her off. However, Josephine, Josephina had been playing the long game. Playing Heidnik, and phone, she went and phoned the police. She quickly explained everything. The sexual abuse, torture, and showing the restraint marks on her ankles. Of course, the police at first were like, dang, this girl's crazy. They didn't know whether to believe her. But right. once they saw the marks on the ankles, they are like, okay, something's fucked up here. So finally right. taking action in this tragic story, they moved in on the ga gas station where Heineck was waiting for Josephina and rested his fucking ass right then and there. And the funny thing is about the arrest act is uh, when the cops came up to him in the car, fucking knocked on the window, you know, all right, all right, roll down the fucking window, Gary. Yeah, what is it, officer? All right, Gary, get the fuck out of the car. Oh, is this about my child support? No, fucking Gary. This ain't about the goddamn child support. This is about you fucking kidnapping girls and killing them and shit. All right, get... Are you sure this isn't about the child support? So this motherfucker legitimately thought this had to do with child support. What a fucking idiot. He, that's how much like, he thought he, he manipulated he, Josephine. It doesn't dawn on him like, uh, she might have done it. No, she he, had he thought he had idea. complete control over this girl, man. So while in custody... Late into the night, the police moved in on 3520 North Marshall Street. Soon after, the cops were busting down the door with, with the smells of death immediately hitting them. The stereos and the static TVs were still at full volume. They headed straight to the basement, where they found two women, Jacqueline Askins and Lisa Thomas, chained to a pipe, sleeping on a crummy mattress, half-naked. Seeing a piece of plywood with sand, sandbags on it, the officers pushed the bags off and removed the board. It was the pit, and inside was a naked and chained Agnes Adams. After months of rape and torture, these women were finally rescued. They were finally freed. The only defense Heidna could play was an insanity case, because there were witnesses, the victims, there was a ton of evidence. There was no denying. In the kitchen were burnt bones, and there was human parts in the freezer. In fact, 27 pounds of body parts was fucking found. 27 Jeez. pounds. I mean, you're talking about what What was it? Two girls? Two girls, yeah. Think, and then, or no, one girl and one was one was carried off, right? So one girl so, I mean, made 27 pounds. What was left of her was at that point? Because he was feeding her feeding the dogs and, and yeah. to the girls. Hmm. But he still pleaded insanity. However, no one could believe that a man who amassed half a million dollars in the stock market wasn't aware of what he was doing. And on July 1st, 1988, Gary Heidnick was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, five counts of kidnapping, six counts of rape, four counts of aggravated assault, and one count of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. What does that bring it up to? Ten years? Ten years in prison? <laughs> That's like the track record, right, that we usually see. Yeah. Nah, man. His sentence was death. Nice. Well, yeah, finally. Good, good. Well, on December 31st, Poor Gary. Not poor Gary. Fuck Gary. Gary tried to take control yet again, attempting suicide by overdosing, falling to a coma for a few days. But no. Fuck you, Gary. You don't get to do what you want anymore. <laughs> Good job, doctors, you know. that brought him back. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they told him, too. Like, yo, bring this dude back. He needs to, oh. he needs to know. You want to you wanna choose when you die? Nah, your control is over, Gary. So after 10 years, because he was on death row for 10 years, 
that's usually i mean we know that's, this people yeah. ride out on death row for yeah. a while but and after a stay of execution brought on by his daughter is some for some reason his daughter was fighting for him the state supreme court finally affirmed his death sentence and on july 6 heineck ate two slices of cheese pizza and black coffee last meal motherfucker and at 10 29 p.m gary heineck was declared dead by lethal injection Two slices of cheese pizza and black coffee? That was your that's fucking it. meal? Yo, that's it. That's, go, all you, that's all you get. Go back. He might have been insane. He might should have won that case. Uh, I mean, maybe that was some really good cheese pizza. I like coffee. Maybe well, that was some I like really coffee, good fucking pizza. I mean, like that just... I like pizza too. It better have been some good fucking pizza. But I, I, for some reason, I feel like it's fucking Totino's pizza or something. Yeah, they probably like fucking reheated some CeCe's pizza, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like... Some, fuck him anyways. One, one of the guards, you know, one of the guards <laughs> that had like fucking Little Caesars the week before and it was just sitting in his oh, freezer yeah. and he's like, yeah, I'll read this shit for him. Oh, you hey, that. hey, yeah, the guard's like, oh, this guy, this guy wants cheese, cheese pizza. Uh, man, I got some cheese pizza in my fridge. It's been there for two weeks. <laughs> we pull off the mold, reheat it, you know, water down that black coffee for him and then let's oh, get yeah. this dude off, you know. Fuck him. But goddamn it, Zach, that was one sick fuck. I'm surprised he didn't ask for a cookie in his last meal. You know? Get a little bit of that reward <laughs> system going on. <laughs> he probably, to be honest with you, I don't even think he liked cookies. I I guarantee you, he probably didn't even. That's probably what probably, it was. That's probably why I gave him to him. He just didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, it was a shit that he didn't eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't want th- I don't want this. You know, you guys seem to like cookies. So, you know, stop screaming and I'll give you one. Yeah. So that was fun, right, Zach? <laughs> no, that was awful. <laughs> this guy is fucking terrible. Yeah, he was. I'm still sad they gave him three years after the first mentally handicapped rape that he did. Uh, and I mean, kidnapping. that's... I mean, rehabilitation, you know? Rehabilitation. Everybody wants to believe... Cult. I mean, everybody wants to believe that people can be fucking healed, you know? But... It's just not the case with fucking you know sexual sadists and some of these people as they can't you know. But you don't really you don't really heal that shit. That's not like that's not like yeah. I was seventeen and I robbed a gas station. I made a bad call. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. This is I I raped this mentally handicapped girl, put her in a fucking closet. You know, like and I was digging a hole in the basement. You know, like ugh. Well, he's dead. Well, he's dead. He's dead. That was fun. So, thanks for joining us on Wrecking (laughs) for a Murder. (laughs) (laughs) We told you in the last episode we'd always be here, and I know it was a while. It's been a while, but, uh, you know, COVID and shit, I had to fucking quarantine. And we're actually doing this, uh, you probably sound, by not the best sound quality that we usually have, uh, that we're doing this remotely. I may be staring at Zach's beautiful fucking face. But uh, it's not in person. So uh, that's why it took us a couple of weeks to get this one out. Sorry for making you wait. But at the same time, I hope it just made you fucking come even harder. Waiting that long. Build up tension. We really appreciate your patience. (laughs) We do. 
So I think we proved we'd always be here. We always will fucking be here. Even if this pandemic bullshit slows down, we'll still find a way to burst through that fucking latex barrier and get fucking deep inside your ears with that fucking holy blessed cum because we will bless this fucking mm, audio fucking jizz. Partake of my seed, child. <laughs> Again, if you want to support the show, one of the free ways to fucking do it. It'll take you five minutes if you don't even have an account. Hop on the fucking Apple Podcast. Give us a fucking review, okay? But don't be an asshole, right? <laughs> if you don't like the goddamn show, if it's not for you, if you don't, if you're not sick and twisted like us, don't just don't listen to it again. You don't gotta leave a shitty fucking review like a big old fucking Karen Bishop. Or Karen, uh, what's her fucking name? I think it was Karen. Well, it was Amy Bishop, but Karen. Oh, Bishop. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Karen yeah. Bishop. Yeah. No, don't be like her. If you don't like it, just move the fuck on. But if you do like it, even just a little bit, and you you want to make us fucking come, or you don't, and that messes with your head, either way, just give us a fucking four or five star review. You can put you on know? the comment whether or not you want me to come over it. I mean, I'll respect oh, your wishes. Oh, yeah. Write some in there. Write some in there, though, because I we read those. I I definitely read them. I will always fucking read them, and I want to hear what you have to say. You know, even if it's just something going on in your life, tell us. We'll, we're here to listen. Five stars. I had a rough day at work. You know, and they almost cheese pizza and black coffee. So. Yep. And if you want to support us even further, I'm not telling you. I'm not sanctioning this, but break open that fucking social distancing bubble snatch your phone's friend get him to follow us on fucking Spotify or whatever you know what I'm saying now remember sex slaves is all cool and fun but only if they consent they must consent depending who you are I might let you slap some chains on them, on me abuse me make me wear rabbit ears rabbit ears tuxedo top with a red bow tie and crotchless latex pants while usher me around with a green and black striped leash attached to my leather dog collar. Ah, but again, ooh, daddy, but again, that's if I consent because we have to respect each other. Oh, yeah, we have to love one another. Ooh, and we have to be weird together. Oh, yeah, yeah. So respect each other. Until next time, Zach, and everyone listening. I'll never eat chocolate chip cookies again. <laughs>